You're listening to Money Talks. My name is Mike Campbell. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. You know, when Rachel Notley and the NDP won the Alberta election, I think it was about two-minute mark, I said, this is going to get interesting. Why? Because there's nothing like the reality of government to teach about finance and economics, to show the superficiality of ideology. Well, her election is going to be interesting, especially this weekend, because more than any other federal party, the federal NDP, both provincially, federally, and even at the municipal level, share the same ideology. And now that's going to be threatened. I mean, come on, there's a chance at this week's federal convention in Edmonton we're going to finally get an answer from the party on oil extraction and pipelines. Now, over the years, you've heard a lot of statements that reflect the populist anti-oil, anti-pipeline, anti-resource development extraction sentiments. But they really didn't matter because the party wasn't in power and their declarations didn't carry any consequences. Well, that changed when Rachel Notley's NDP government won in Alberta. As I said, there's nothing like the harsh reality of government to expose simplicity and shallowness of ideologically based declarations. Now, usually opposition to oil extraction and pipelines doesn't come with any consequences. I mean, the protesters keep driving their cars. They take planes. They buy goods imported by gasoline and diesel trucks. They buy goods that their base is petroleum. But still, they say no to pipelines and oil. Of course, there are direct consequences. I don't need to tell anybody of the 100,000 workers who've lost their jobs in the industry, both in the lower mainland of Vancouver, people don't seem to understand that, and, of course, throughout Alberta, Saskatchewan, Newfoundland. But opponents weren't directly impacted. But now it's changed because the Alberta government is. A multi-billion dollar drop in government revenues, as I said, 100,000 job losses, that's going to get your attention. So on Wednesday, in an interview on the CBC, federal party leader Thomas Mulcair showed no discomfort in stating that if the convention voted to keep the oil in the ground, he would do everything in his power to make that happen. I thought, typically, he didn't say how he would vote, what he thinks they should do. It's the same game politicians on the left continue to play. Justin Trudeau's doing that nonstop. Zero leadership. Because they know practically they can't afford to stop the oil industry, but they don't want to get in the wrong side of the anti-oil crowd. So they dance around the question. To her credit, Deputy Premier Sarah Hoffman in Alberta jumped all over Mr. Mulcair in the Alberta legislature saying, in quotes, I absolutely do not agree with what Tom Mulcair said about keeping oil in the ground, end of quote. On Thursday night, Premier Notley pleaded for the Energy East pipeline to get approved. Mr. Mulcair backtracked on Friday, by the way, but there's no escaping the divide in the NDP. So what will it be? The ideologically first big no to oil extraction and pipelines in the very near future? Or will the delegates reject the motion and in effect say yes to the oil sands? I mean, this is awkward. I wouldn't be surprised to see some watered-down version put forward, like we're committing to end oil extraction as soon as possible, like 25 to 30 years from now. See, the problem is outside of the delusional world of politics, Canada needs oil. Alberta and Newfoundland desperately need it. Saskatchewan too. Their people need jobs and government needs the revenue. Look at the negative impact of a decline in oil prices and it's taken just under two years. I mean, come on, shutting down the industry entirely, which is the goal of NDP notables like Naomi Klein and David Suzuki. Well, that would be devastating. There's no way the people in Alberta are prepared to go through the decades-long hardship that closing down the oil industry would mean, all for an estimated 15 one-hundredths of 1% of the world's CO2 emissions. No, 
Rachel Notley and most of her MLAs know it. So it's damned if you vote against the oil industry. In that case, it'll cause a major rift in the party with the Alberta NDP on one side and the party on the other, the federal party, on one of the biggest issues facing the country. But if they instead reject the motion to effectively shut down the industry, saying no to pipelines, where does that leave the federal party and their provincial counterparts, like in B.C. and Ontario? Because as Premier Notley has made clear, it, the oil needs to be transported. And her choice, and the choice of every transportation economic expert, is transport by pipelines. So B.C. and Alberta either lose a wedge issue in their own province and support the NDP in Alberta, or they help divide the party. That's why I think the party bosses are going to do whatever they can to avoid a specific comment on the issue and agree to some watered-down motion that really means nothing. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. That means you get paid first. It's in the tech sector, and there's no fees attached. Get more information by going to soleraclub.com. I'll be back in a moment. Hey, Michael Levy's got this top story he's going to start with here. I'm telling you, it goes in that sort of realm of you never saw this one coming. Back with Mike in just a couple of minutes. I love saving you money, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Now, i got a little bit of echo going in my headphones here, but that's not going to stop me from bringing on t- uh, Tim a great tax expert, and I'm going to start with what's the number one thing people forget to do in their form that costs them money? We'll do that in a couple of minutes along with the big fat idea, but right now you got to stay tuned with this one. i got Michael Levy here. Mike, uh, let's start with your top story this week, and this one is filed under you never saw it coming. Yeah, never saw it coming, and neither did Europe and other areas of the world, Mike, where they went to negative interest rates. Their bank rates, their overnight rates, their central bank rates went negative. Welcome to the Netherlands, where the bank pays you, and in one of the most unusual, or more unusual side effects of negative interest rates, one Dutch household will be receiving, rather than paying, a mortgage payment from their bank, and Mike, there are more to come because of negative interest rates. So let's get that straight. You're talking about somebody takes out a mortgage, and they get paid to do it. They get paid to do it, and they took their case to the Netherlands Consumer Financial Products watchdog, and the mortgage rates were based on the LIBOR, or interbank rate. That's simply an interbank rate where banks will lend to each other. It's an overnight rate. And the mortgage was, uh, or the LIBOR rate, was minus 1%. So with a minus 1%, the people had a variable rate mortgage of 7 tenths of 1%. So they end up getting back from the bank 3 tenths of 1% for their mortgage. In other words, the bank is paying them. They don't have to pay the bank because it's based on that negative rate. I'm moving to the Netherlands immediately. <laughs> well, you know what, Mike, and this is one comment, is we're going to look back ruefully on negative interest rates as one of the greatest idiocies of the 20 and 21st century. It's supposed to promote spending. It's supposed to uh, penalize the banks for people holding money in their accounts because they have to be paid so people will take their money out of the bank to spend, except you have an effect like the mortgage rates, which are based on a negative interest rate, and people have mortgages with the banks. So if this one case holds true, those with negative rates, 
those banks with negative rates and people have very small one-year or so variable rate mortgages, they're going to end up with money coming back to them from their banks for owning their houses. Let me, let me change directions for a sec, Mike, with another story here, because I was just alluding to it. Uh, you know, I, people got to appreciate that the impact of the decline in oil prices continues right now through this year. It wasn't just last year, you know, when we had some really negative numbers, but I'm looking at some of those numbers, and it's just going to continue here through three, 2016. It is, Mike, and that's the collapse in the oil industry. As you said in your opening editorial, it's cost 110,000 workers to lose their jobs across Canada. That's in the oil industry or in the energy industry and in related jobs. And capital spending, Mike, has dropped by 50, listen to that, $50 billion in two years. It's the worst slump since 1947 when they started keeping records. So... Between 1947 and 19 or 2016, it's the largest slump, $50 billion gone in capital spending. Yeah, and it's interesting to see the Bank of Canada says it's going to be several years for that component to pick up, and it's not going to be as important if you do a percentage in the economy. Obviously, that's sort of like nothing new for people living in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Newfoundland, etc. Hey, it, it, Mike, the other one this week that i got to come back to you for is the Panama Papers. I mean, I know that story's going to continue with the 11.3, what is it, million documents released, but that still was a head shaker. More than it is a head shaker, Mike, and there's no doubt that there's uh, ill-gotten gains. There is money being hidden. There's money laundering. There is uh, don't, proceeds of funds, and nobody knows where they come from. There's cheating on taxes. But what got to me is the RBC being grouped in there, Royal Bank of Canada, because of about 370 offshore companies that uh, opened uh, that, uh, that that the Royal opened accounts in Panama with. And Mike, it, obviously, and not even obviously, there might just be some that have done things that they shouldn't have, they're hiding money. But to tar the Royal Bank for doing something like opening accounts that was not illegal, Mike, and it we, we don't even know how many years back it went, but it made headlines across the country. And boy, did the CBC and the Toronto Star ever have fun with that one. Yeah, as you say, I mean, opening up an offshore uh, numbered company, whatever, is not illegal. Tax evasion is illegal. So if you're doing it with the express purpose or, or one, of the per, uh, one of the outcomes is to avoid taxes, uh, you know, and not report the income to Revenue Canada in this case or the IRS or what have you, that's the illegal part, not the actual creation of a company. And the other well, thing is this, Mike, we only heard from one of these companies, what is it, Morzak, uh, Mozak Fonseca or something like that. Hey, there's a lot Fonseca. more going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, Mike, the thing is, is that the Toronto Star ran three pages on it. The CBC headlined it, and the Royal was right in the middle of it. And I've got to give you these two quick quotes. This is from the Toronto Star in their story. Yes, the Royal Bank is named, and there very well could be tax evading culprit or two. But with the financial institutions are following the letter and the law, and so far there's not one shred of evidence that the Royal didn't. The CBC, much of this is perfectly legal. Offshore accounts are not in themselves illegal. But meanwhile, boy, the Royal Bank has just been tarred, feathered, and sent out of town. And, Mike, it's just this sensationalism in the media. And, again, why let facts get in the way of a good story? Well, as I say, lots more to come on that one, Mike. Have a great weekend. You too, Mike.
Coming up, I got my big fat idea of the week. I'm getting help from Maxim Capital's Travis Dowell. Also, we're going to talk to Tim Sesnick, and I'll give you a great quote of the week. All of that coming your way on the Money Talks Network. Are you missing anything big on your tax return? Because I know you're in the process of getting it ready. Well, Tim Sesnick's going to share with us the biggest thing that people miss. We'll do that in a couple of minutes. But right now, time for the big fat idea. Travis Dowell's with me. He's the head of Maxim Capital. Travis, first of all, I do appreciate you finding time in the weekend. Let's get right to it, though. What's the big fat idea? Thanks, Michael. Um, at Maxim Capital, we like to look for investments where we think we found attractive value plus a catalyst to move the stock price higher. And our, our big fat idea fits that philosophy very well. It's a company called Medicare. Medicare is a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on the development and commercialization of therapeutics for the U.S. hospital market. Their current focus is in the area of acute cardiovascular care with a product called Agristat. Um, and that drug um, um, is an anti-thrombotic drug used to treat um, and remove or um, prevent blood clots, clots in people. Uh, you know, what an incredible area, first of all. I mean, we know the explosion in that kind of development, and we know when they hit it right. My goodness gracious there. Uh, give me three reasons why, I mean, obviously, when you look at a stock, you don't look at three reasons. But just give us three to give us a hint of why you're interested in the stock. Yeah, absolutely. At a, you know, at a high level, hospitals are, are trying to find ways to treat patients better, obviously always looking for the next thing that's going to help out their patients. Uh, but they're also trying to save money. Medicare's Agristat uh, drug is cheaper and has been found company to be a more effective drug, and they're actively taking market share from their competitors in what is a what is a very big market. We also like, um, you know, the company is is trading at a very attractive valuation right now, less than ten times earnings based on what we think they'll do in 2016. So great growth and value from that perspective. But you know, as mentioned, we like to look for catalysts as well. Um, we see a significant potential catalyst for Medicare in that they have a, a fixed price option to acquire a, a company called Apicor. And Apicor is a generic contract drug manufacturer that is exhibiting very strong growth itself. And we think uh, the potential acquisition of this company by Medicare will be will be a game changer for them. Uh, let me come back to something there. Uh, you know, with a stock like that, I mean, the other thing you're looking as, at uh, how is it performed in the market? Like, uh, you know, are you getting at a good valuation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this this company right now is trading at about nine times um, about uh, its 2016 earnings. We think those earnings can double into next year. So if you look at an evaluation on next year's basis, um, it's trading at around, you know, five six times earnings, let's say. So, you know, we think that's very cheap. This company's off the radar, and I think it's uh, it's got a quite an interesting catalyst associated with it, as mentioned. Okay, so obviously we're talking about purchasing a stock here. That's how we're going, you know, how people could consider getting in. But but who's it appropriate for? I mean... Yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, a couple things. One, in terms of how we, we like to purchase securities, I like to take advantage of, of weaker days on the market and hopefully be able to buy shares buy shares on a dip. Um, that's part of our active process. Um, you know, this, this security is appropriate for... Um, investors and, and keep in mind any investor should consider any investment as part of their overall portfolio with respect to their own individual goals but an investor looking for for growth of capital um, you know I'd, I'd consider this company to be a medium to to higher risk investment but certainly a, a growth oriented one so I mean like anybody I mean consult uh, when, when we do a big fat idea where I was saying you know 
look for it as part of a portfolio. That's exactly what they do at Maxim Capital. One of the things I've impressed, by the way, I was looking at your performance record, and this is the kind of thing I look for personally, is how well you've done in down markets. Uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, I mean, it's true. It's, it's, it's much easier to make money in, a, in an up market. You know, you could look at real estate in Vancouver. How could you have lost money if you'd bought it two years ago? So that's why I look at how do you perform in a down market. And your company's done very well. So obviously this strategy is, you know, you, you check how is it appropriate. But for you, it obviously fits within the broad portfolio that you've put together at Maxwell. Absolutely, yeah. We're we're always cognizant of of the risk reward reward of any situation we get involved in, and you know we like to focus on companies again where we found value and a catalyst that we think is going to move that that stock price higher. So, how long would you be prepared to hold something like this? So we've we've currently held this name in our portfolios for about eight or nine months now. Um, I think if you're looking at this security today, uh, I think you should be looking at a, a two to three year hold period. You want to give the company time to keep exhibiting the strong growth that they're having and uh, you want to wait for that catalyst to play out of the potential purchase of the Apicor um, contract drug manufacturer which yeah, will be no. ideally in 2017. Perfect and uh, as I say that's as I say it's a representative of how you approach the market you've had great results. Travis thanks for taking the time with us. Thank you Michael. You can find more by the way at uh, Maxim Capital Management by going M-A-X-A-M, Maxim, C-M, Capital Management, dot com, M-A-X-C-M, M-A-X, M-A-X-A-M, Maxim, C-M, dot com, Maxim, C-M, dot com, uh, and uh, get more information there. Look, I'm going to take a break. i got to come back. By the way, wait till you hear my shocking stat this week. This is a beauty there, and I love the Goofy Award. We'll also go live to the trading desk, and it's one of those, hey, if you had invested in this just one week ago, how would you have made out? It's a very common investment, but it's a great example, plus some hot properties, all of that coming your way, but uh, right now, I'm coming back to Tim Sesnick, one of the foremost tax experts. Uh, I love his stuff. You can read him in the Globe and Mail. He's written several books. He's going to share with us, hey, let's do our little checklist. What I mean, I just don't want you to forget a couple of things that might cost you money. Plus, my quote of the week. All of that coming on the Money Talks Network. Stay with us.